We are in session to hear two cases this afternoon. The first one is National Liability and Fire Insurance Company v. Brimar Transit, Inc., Pittsburgh Public School District, case number 222565. Counselor Appellant, Wendy Anderson, on behalf of the Appellant, National Liability and Fire Insurance Company. We are here before you today following a series of result-oriented decisions by the District Court, all of which defy logic and are contrary to the plain language of the insurance policy at issue and well-settled Pennsylvania law. Ms. Anderson, let me ask you a quick question. You never did a reservation of rights vis-à-vis the school district, did you? That is incorrect, Your Honor. We did, in fact. There were several reservation of rights letters, the first of which appears... But, I mean, before, at the outset of the action. When did you do your reservation of rights letter? So, the initial reservation of rights was issued to the District on February 14, 2020. That's in the record at A785. Now, and then with respect to the Appellee Brimar, a reservation of rights letter was issued immediately following the filing of the underlying lawsuit. Right. But the lawsuit was well underway when you issued the reservation of rights to the school district, correct? Well, that's correct, Your Honor. And the reason why is that because the district, the school district, does not qualify as an insured under the policy issued. Well, that's the issue. Okay. The district court went out of its way to find insurance coverage under an auto liability policy for an underlying lawsuit that arose out of the repeated sexual assault of a young female student by her male classmate, the final of which occurred on a bus. We're well aware of that. What did the district court get wrong? The district court got several things wrong. The first is that the district court grossly mischaracterized the allegations of the underlying complaint to find that the district qualified as an additional insured under the policy of insurance. The provision on which the district court relied is an omnibus insurance provision, which extends coverage only to those who are vicariously liable for the acts or conduct of the named insured. Well, and the district court found that the allegation in the complaint that there was perhaps an agency relationship between Brimar and the district gave rise to the potential for coverage. Isn't that, what's wrong with that conclusion? Well, Your Honor, if you look at the allegations of the underlying complaint, they actually speak to the opposite. The paragraphs on which the district court relied speak to Brimar's vicarious liability for the actions or negligence of its driver. There is not a single allegation in this complaint on which the court could have reasonably construed 
the allegations to find the serious. They allege a potential agency relationship between the two, which would lead you to believe there's a vicarious liability here. They don't have to use the words vicarious liability, do they? They do not have to. You have to focus on the allegations, not the claims. But it's important to note that there are specific claims in the complaint which are directed solely at the district's failure. The district entered into an agreement with the female student's mother, a separation agreement, an agreement to keep these students separated, not only on the bus, in the lunchroom, in the classes, on a field trip, at recess. Reason being, the male student was indiscriminate. We are well aware of that. What else did the district court get wrong? The second erroneous ruling by the district court is its holding that the bodily injuries sustained by the female student resulted from the use of the auto. The district court ignored a long line of Pennsylvania cases which consistently and repeatedly hold that if the injuries arise from an intervening act, an assault, an object, that does not fall within the scope of an auto liability policy. It's important to keep that in mind. We are not here with a general liability policy. We are here with an auto policy that solely provides coverage for vehicle-related injuries and damages that result from the use of the auto. So let's just tease that out. It strikes me, if I recall right, that the operative phrase here for the auto coverage is resulting from, which is more narrow than arising out of. Arising out of Pennsylvania courts treat as but-for causation. That's how I'm seeing the law on this. It turns out, though, that why isn't the fact that this occurred on a bus a but-for cause? And let me just give you the two points I'd like you to address on this. There was a policy specifically with respect to the bus, and it seems that the bus and its use is governed by its driver, and on the day in question, there was a substitute bus driver in a way that might be different than any other day. And so we're in a situation where we say we've got a policy related to a bus, and we've got a substitute bus driver. Why isn't that good enough to say these could be but-for causes of the injury? Because, Your Honor, you have to look at the instrumentality which causes the injury. And here it's not the bus. It's not the substitute driver. It was the male student who sexually abused this child. So that may take you into exclusion land, right? So, I mean, you aren't going to forego the exclusion argument, right? But I think the point is I'm just wondering, let me put it this way. When I think but-for causation, I think to myself, this never happened on the bus before when it was a regular driver, never, at least that we know of. Happened on the day of the substitute driver. The driver of the instrumentality changed. And so why isn't that good enough for at least but-for causation? Now, you may tell me that resulting from is smaller and we should look at that. But I guess my thought is it struck me that to tie this to the bus and to separate the driver from the instrumentality is a little much. I don't know that we do that in normal auto coverage. We say it was a car, but let's ignore the driver. They tend to go together, no? 
Well, Your Honor, Pennsylvania courts do draw that distinction. The court need look no further than its own rulings, where it's recognized that cases where there is an altercation on a bus, it doesn't arise out of the use of the bus. It arises out of the actual, the assault, the encounter. But here you're saying that the instrumentality is the boy. But really, the gravamen of the complaint is that the instrumentality is Brimer's, it's the negligence of Brimer. It's the negligence that is really what this resulted from, resulted from negligence. That's the whole theory of the case. So it resulted from the negligence of Brimer, i.e., the bus company. So why wouldn't it result from the use of this bus? Well, respectfully, we disagree with that characterization of the underlying complaint. The underlying complaint is replete with allegations of the district's breaches of its agreement to the mother. It had entered into a separate agreement with the mother to keep this student safe after the male student sexually assaulted her in a gym months prior. But there was an agreement between Brimer and the district that Brimer would instruct its drivers. And it failed to do it on this one specific day. The district wasn't going to do that that day. Brimer was in charge of the bus, wasn't it? The focus of the scope of coverage is not on the claims. It's on the injuries. And it's whether the injuries resulted from the use of the bus. There is a long line of Pennsylvania cases which squarely hold that when there's an intervening action which causes the injury, that does not give rise to the bus. This court recognized it in U.S. underwriters as well as in Allstate v. Squires. That's exactly, those cases are directly on all fours here. There's also an allegation here of negligence for failure to inform the substitute driver. Why wouldn't that fall outside the exclusions in the policy? Well, turning to the exclusion, would Your Honor like me to address the exclusion? The exclusion here excludes from coverage bodily injuries arising from all alleged or actual sexual abuse, molestation, or contact, regardless of who committed the act. We're not focused on the claims that are asserted, but rather where do the injuries arise out of. You don't focus on the theory of liability, but the nature of the injuries themselves. And a virtually identical exclusion was upheld in 12th Street gym case. The court there applied both prongs. Section A, which excludes bodily injuries from all arising out of sexual abuse or molestation, as well as B, which focuses on bodily injury arising out of the negligent supervision. But here we don't know exactly what the injuries are. It could be from the assault when he jumped her initially, and we don't know whether injuries were exclusively from molestation or from physical assault. And so there's a potential. And the court here, and your opponent goes to great lengths to talk about the fact that it's the potential for coverage. It's a duty to defend situation. That's all we're deciding, whether the court was wrong in saying as a matter of law 
there was a duty to defend because there was the potential. So there certainly is the potential for injuries caused by something other than that exclusion. Your Honor, you must read the complaint, the underlying complaint as a whole. The underlying complaint alleges that this child was sexually abused by the male student on multiple occasions. The only paragraph that the district court relied on to unreasonably conclude that there was non-sexual touching is paragraph 27. What does that state? That he pinned her down. He climbed on top of her. That is all sexual contact. Well, it's not necessarily. More discovery would have to be done as to exactly what happened here in order to rule out anything else other than molestation. Do you not agree? Well, Your Honor. You can't say categorically that there be no duty to defend. Well, first of all, when you're dealing and looking at our exclusion, it says alleged sexual assault, abuse, or molestation. So you can make this determination on a duty to defend. And we understand that the duty to defend is construed broadly. However, there are limitations. And you must construe it with the purpose and the scope of the insurance coverage in mind. Right. One quick question. Your policy, in one of the cases, it may be Avellino, possibly Roche. I think it's Roche. The Pennsylvania Superior Court, 86 case, goes to some lengths to point out the difference in the change in the language of the no-fault policy. And they distinguish between resulting from and arising out of. Your policy talks about resulting from. It doesn't say arising out of, which would be a lot broader. Why shouldn't we look at that narrower distinction to say that the language is not, your exclusion does not cover the situation? Because it arised, it resulted from, it didn't arise out of. It did arise out of the use of the bus. You're saying it didn't result from. So, Your Honor, the insuring agreement carefully used the words resulting from, which is a narrower test than arising out of. And our exclusion is drafted very broadly so that there is no doubt that this auto liability policy was never intended to cover injuries arising out of sexual assault. How do you distinguish the Lebanon coach case? Lebanon coach has no application here whatsoever. Lebanon coach is a case where a student exits the vehicle. She is struck by another car and pinned to the bus. There is no other instrumentality involved that caused her injuries. Lebanon coach solely relied on two cases, both of which have the same factual scenario. And the Lebanon coach court never addressed the long line of Pennsylvania cases. We have Day. We have Roach. We have Schweitzer. Numerous others where there are intervening acts, assaults, fistfights, an explosive bottle that caused the injuries to the claimant. And in all of those cases, they were held not to fall within the scope of an auto policy. You also look at basically what a school bus does. And what they do is they guarantee the safety of the family on the bus, but the child getting onto and getting off of the bus. And that was seen to be here in Lebanon. The kid was injured while getting off the bus or after she got off the bus, which was consistent with the bus as a bus. 
That is correct, Your Honor. The only way that there can be coverage is that if the injuries arise from the use of the bus as a bus. And that is simply not the case here. So just one follow-up question. As I understand it, coverage for use is using the narrow term resulting from. The exclusion for sexual assault uses the broad term arising under. So when your client came up with this policy, they wanted small coverage, or at least a smaller version of the operative phrase coverage, big version of the operative phrase exclusion. Do I have that right? Yes, you do, Your Honor. That is correct. Okay. All right. We'll hear from you on rebuttal. Thank you very much. Here's from Counsel for Appellees. May it please the Court. Jamie Doherty for the School District of Pittsburgh, Appellee. So let me ask you, given your position here, can you think of any injury that would occur on the bus that would not be covered? If this isn't covered, I mean, if this is covered, what is the purpose of the exclusion? Thank you, Judge. That's a very good question. I've spent time thinking about that. We reviewed that. And from our position, given the nature of what this transaction was, a contract between Bremar Transit and the Pittsburgh School District to transport children safely to and from school every day, there's nothing that could occur on that bus that wouldn't be subject to at least a policy review for coverage for potential claims. But this is not a situation where we're looking at a policy of safety. We're interpreting what it means to say that something, that injuries resulted from the use of the bus, the use or operation of the bus. That's the operative language here. So, I mean, the fact is that there's a contract to safely transport. That's fine. But this is not a general liability policy. This is how, what, to your mind, what did these injuries result from? Well, they resulted from the failure of Bremar to adequately enforce the agreement that Bremar had. The failure of Bremar to adequately enforce is not the use of a bus. Well, but it is in the context of children, common carriers. One thing that I think is interesting to note for the Court that is certainly in our papers, but here we have a common carrier who has a heightened duty to transport children who are minors. That's a negligence action. I mean, you can make a duty for civil plain of argument here and go down the negligence road. But we're talking about basically a contract and a duty limit and an obligation which arises from the contract of insurance. So the fact that there may be a general duty doesn't help you much if the language of the contract doesn't include within it coverage for that, coverage for injuries arising from a breach of the duty that you're arguing to us. And the duty here seems to me to be limited by paragraph A, which talks about coverage and its injuries resulting from the use of a covered auto. And looking at the line, going back to 
I was contemplating in terms of the no-fault insurance policy. They were trying to get at coverage of vehicles being used as vehicles, and that's what they're after, not necessarily an injury that arises from a situation which happens to occur on a bus. But let me ask you hypothetically a question. And this comes from my daughter, actually. Let's assume the two kids are on a bus, and one of them is coloring in a coloring book. And during the course of coloring, the kid with a crayon in his or her hand pulls back her hand and pokes the other kid in the eye, the kid sitting next to her on the bus. Would that be covered under this policy? It would depend upon what the duties of the driver were and what the children were doing. It may be one thing. Where do you get that from the language of Section A? Again, you're going to negligence law and duties. Well, I get it from the Lebanon coach case and the Kufo case, which is also cited in our brief. The distinguishing factor here that I don't want to get lost is all of these cases like Alvarino and Roach that my opponent relies upon, the appellant relies upon, deal with personal automobile insurance policies. Not any of the cases cited by them deal with a bus except for one, which is the difference between a personal automobile policy that says injuries resulting from the use of a car and this policy that said injuries resulting from the use of a car. This is a policy that was issued to Bremar by its insurer, National, understanding that the contract for work that required this policy to be placed was to transport children every day to and from school. What does that have to do with, is that incorporated in the policy that, oh, by the way, there's a bus situation, you know, incorporated? Our position is that National was well aware of the fact that there was a contractual obligation to do this. No, but I'm saying, are you saying there's something special about this policy that's a different auto coverage policy? Because I didn't see that in your materials. And we look at the four corners of this insurance policy. We don't look, we're not looking at contracts that anybody has. We're looking at whether this insurer said, I'll cover you for this. Understood. And looking at the four corners of the policy also requires looking at what the case law says, situations like this necessitate. Well, Lebanon coach is distinguishable because there what happened was the coach was being driven into a place that was deemed to be unsafe. The bus was driven to a place to let this girl, you know, get off, and it was not a safe location. So it was definitely the driving of the bus and the placement of the bus, the operation of the bus that our injuries resulted from. Here we don't have injuries. How do we have injuries resulting from the use of the bus? Because carrying on, transporting in the bus is, in this circumstance, use of the bus. And interestingly, in the Lebanon coach case, the insurer there made the very same argument in that case, that the injury didn't result from the bus, and the court reversed that position as well. What case do you have that supports your proposition that in response to Judge McKee's first question, which was, is there anything that wouldn't be covered under your theory? And you said basically, no, there isn't anything that wouldn't be covered. And I guess I'm asking for your best authority for the proposition that coverage applies for kind of anything that happens on the bus while it's in operation. Strict liability. You're arguing strict liability. If it's on the bus, you're liable. I'm not. You're reading the exclusion out. It strikes me that you're reading the exclusion out. 
Well, the exclusion is problematic here for the carrier because while Section A, which Judge McKee did, I think, raise earlier, is broad, that's not where that exclusion ends. The exclusion goes on to further limit itself in Subpart B, which deals specifically with negligent employment supervision, et cetera, to bar coverage for anyone who would be included within A. And so our position with respect to the exclusion is that the carrier's position on this renders whole subparts of that exclusion meaningless, superfluous, which is not how Hornbook Insurance Coverage Law looks at this issue. Our interpretation, which the lower court adopted, is that it's reasonable to read all of these provisions together and that B, necessarily more limited in scope, narrower in scope, is the problematic provision here. Because in this instance, factually, the driver of the bus was not the alleged assailant. So the driver of the bus, had she been the alleged assailant, would have fallen into squarely that Part B and there would have been an exclusion. We wouldn't be here. There'd be a different issue. But because the minor child is the assailant here, the appellant's argument about the minor child being the one who was to have been supervised and was arguably negligently supervised is ridiculous. That's not how that term is commonly understood. It's not how that term is commonly interpreted. And it's not how it's written in this exclusion. So our position with respect to the exclusion is the problem is the language in B is narrow and it does not bar coverage in this instance on these facts. And respectfully, the underlying complaint, I think, to get to another point that Judge McKee raised, that is rife, replete with negligence references. And there is negligence alleged in what Brimar did or failed to do. And there is an argument that there's an agency relationship between Brimar and the school district and that the school district is liable for the negligence of Brimar in this instance in failing to prevent this incident from occurring. And that is where we believe there is a potential basis for coverage, at least with respect to the duty to defend. Let me ask you a question. If we disagree with you regarding the use of the bus, that the results, the injuries didn't result from the use of the bus, then there's absolutely no coverage. And Brimar and arguably Brimar and the school district would have to fork over, give back to National all of the all of the monies that they paid, including the settlement costs, wouldn't they? No. Even if this court were to find that there is no duty to defend because the court disagreed with our interpretation of use in this instance under Levin and Coach and other cases. What I would say to that is with respect to Brimar, the issue of reimbursement is not even before this court. It's not been raised. It's not been argued. With respect to my client, the Pittsburgh School District, let's take first the defense costs. The reservation of rights letter that you heard counsel reference earlier from February 14, 2020, I want to be clear, was sent to the mailing address of Brimar. The reservation of rights letter, you're not under the policy anymore. If we find that there's no coverage, National didn't owe a thing. Are you saying that you would also find that we're not an insured? That's the basic thing. Well, if this court were to find that we are not an insured, 
We disagree, and I'd like to speak to that, but to address your question more specifically, there is no equitable theory of recovery or reimbursement of defense costs recognized in Pennsylvania, period. So there would be the only right to reimbursement that this appellant carrier has with respect to my client is by contract and by this policy. So if this court finds that we are not only not owed a defense, which I differentiate from also not being an insured, if we are not an insured, then the only right of recovery is under some equitable theory that by Pennsylvania law established does not exist for the appellant. Maybe I'm disagreeing or I'm not making myself clear. If we were to determine that Judge Fischer erred as a matter of law in saying that there's a potential for coverage and therefore a duty to defend, and we were to say that the injuries didn't result from the use of the bus, so that there's no coverage, no coverage, we're not under the insurance policy because there's no coverage, you're out of it, why wouldn't National be able to get back everything? Because there would be no theory of liability under which they could do so that would be recognized under Pennsylvania law. Shouldn't they at least be able to get a crack at that through supplementing their complaint to bring such a claim, and then you could litigate it under that, in that vehicle or in that context? No, not where this court found, and we agree and think the record is supported, that National was dilatory and did not exercise diligence in pursuing its right to amend that complaint. I want to go back and review that. Okay, let me just make really clear that I think that under the federal rules, there's a distinction between amending a complaint and supplementing a complaint. Amending is basically writing a complete do-over of what happened beforehand. Supplementing is when you add after occurring events to the allegations of a prior complaint. It strikes me that it was labeled as an amendment, but this request for reimbursement is really a supplementation. We paid, we'd like it back. That happened after the complaint. So if we view it through the lens of supplementation, then the district court's scheduling order, which says this is the last day to amend, wouldn't apply to supplementation. Well, if we're considering this a supplementation, which I agree was not how it was filed and was not how the lower court evaluated it, if this were a supplementation, it would still be futile and extremely untimely. The national, the appellant has put forth here an argument that they were simply trying to amend or to use the court's word, supplement their pleadings following events that occurred. A settlement that they controlled, they negotiated, they voluntarily paid without consent or input from us or BREMAR, and an alleged payment of defense costs, which again goes back to my timeline, Judge, of that payment of defense costs was made 13 months after a court, Judge Fischer in the Western District, found a duty to defend. 13 months. It was made over three years after I, on behalf of my client, tendered my initial defense, tendered this claim. What does that do to the merits of the 
of the case. What it does is it shows that the things that they were asking to add or supplement to this action could have been brought at the time of the judge's order in January of 2020, were timely then, did not change. They did not need any of these subsequent events. They sat on their rights. It was a litigation strategy that changed. Putting all that aside, after they paid and now want it back, why don't we just say we'll let you supplement for that? Because then every carrier in the world would do this. This is exactly the circumstance that Pacific Indemnity was trying to avoid. Carriers cannot be in the position of saying, no, we're not going to respond to a tender of claim. No, we're not going to pick up a defense. Okay, two days before we file an amended complaint, we'll pay you your defense costs that have already been incurred, and then turn around and say, oh, no coverage, pay us back. That's simply not equitable. That's not the intent of any of this law, and that is the exact kind of situation that is in danger of presenting here if we don't pay attention to these timelines and we don't pay attention to the order in which things happened. So three years, three years on a tender, no response. Two days before the amended complaint is filed, seeking to bring a claim that doesn't exist under Pennsylvania law, equitable reimbursement, and seeking to make a claim for having paid defense costs. My client didn't have the check in hand at the time the motion was filed so that this court is aware. So that's significant. It's significant because it belies what is in the appellant carrier's papers on this issue. This was not about a change in circumstance. People try cases all day long and argue cases all day long. You can conform your pleadings to the evidence at the end of a case. This was a change in litigation strategy because the first plan didn't work. And now to hold my client potentially out of coverage on defense and potentially is not an insured, again, I go back to, and that's a two-step for us as we've set it up in our brief and we believe it to be accurate. If the finding were to be we are not an insured and there is no defense, then my response to this court is, again, then there is no theory of recovery by which this carrier can get back its money from my district. If the finding, on the other hand. The theory of recovery is that if we reverse the district court as to the duty to defend and find there is no duty to defend, then they paid that money under an erroneous ruling and we reverse it and they get the money back. The only way they get that money back is by the provision of the insuring agreement that they wrote, which is construed against them. And what is interesting about that provision. But doesn't that provision assumes that there's coverage? Well, if there's no coverage, the only other avenue for recovery is an equitable theory because they have no other basis. Unjust enrichment. It doesn't exist under Pennsylvania law. We've briefed that issue. Not if the policy applies. No, if the policy doesn't apply, they have no basis to recover. There's not a single case that they can point to that says otherwise because it doesn't exist. What about Essex Insurance Company versus RMJC? Essex Insurance Company does not stand for that proposition. Unjust enrichment by paying a judgment against the insured once no coverage has been determined. That was a different policy and there were also reservation of rights letters that were timely in that instance. 
Essex is not, is distinguishable from this matter and is not on point for where we are factually or legally in this case. With respect to, with respect to the other bases under which we, the district, are insured under this policy. Your time. So why don't you wrap this up? But we've given you some leniency with time, but finish your thought, but your time. There are three other bases that the court below did not even consider on the merits and were not brought up at summary judgment. Our position is that those arguments at a minimum are waived for the appellant. Those were the insured contract, the certificate of insurance, and the nature or entirety of the transaction. Thank you. You reserve four minutes for rebuttal. Thank you, Your Honor, and I'll be brief. No one has ever been. Nobody said that. I will attempt to be brief, Your Honor. I will start off with first addressing the district court's denial of our motion to supplement the complaint. The timeline is inaccurate, as pronounced by my opponent. First of all, the duty that my client undertook to pay those defense costs was solely based under the court's order. We had to issue discovery requests to the district to turn over its bills. We did not receive bills, unredacted bills, until late November 2020. Thereafter, National, under a reservation of rights, paid the settlement on behalf of both Brimar and the appellee. Immediately thereafter, in January of 2021, we informed the district and Brimar and requested from the district court leave to file the amended complaint. We filed that amended complaint two weeks later. For the district court and for my opponent to argue that our amended complaint was untimely is simply wrong. That amended complaint could not have been filed sooner. Now, with respect to our right to reimbursement, there is an abundance of case law which squarely holds that we have a right to reimbursement under the contract, as it exists to Brimar, as well as under a theory of unjust enrichment. There's the Essex case, which Judge Rendell just mentioned. That's a Third Circuit case. There's a recent Western District of Pennsylvania 2022 case, Ironshore v. Specialty. There, the court also held there was an equitable right under the unjust enrichment theory for an insurer to recoup and recover all of its payments made after it was later determined that there was no coverage. There is the Donnelly case. We've cited that. American Western Home v. Donnelly Distribution. That is an entirely factually analogous case. Settlement and defense costs were paid on behalf of an insured. 
and the court later determined there was no coverage, the insurer was entitled to recoup those costs. Now, if this court, as it should, reverses the district court's ruling that the district qualifies as an additional insured, the district is a stranger to this policy. The district cannot rely on the contract. It is a stranger. I will wrap it up by saying this is not a general liability policy. The scope is limited to injuries which result from the use of the auto. If the district court's rulings are allowed to stand, they will have far-reaching impact beyond this case and expand auto liability insurance well beyond its intended scope and expose insurers to risk they never contemplated. This court should follow the long line of Pennsylvania cases, Day, Schweitzer, Roach, Alvarino, there are others all cited in our brief, which squarely hold that when the bus is solely being used, when it's merely the situs, those injuries do not arise or result from the use of the bus. Thank you very much. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you. We would ask counsel for the parties to approach the bench for a quick moment. We've conferred. I'll let any of the other judges weigh in on this.